Hi, I'm Thomas Darv, the host of Talent Acquisition Matters. By creating this podcast, I want to share best practice, learn, develop and listen to some of the most innovative minds in the talent world. I'll be interviewing talent acquisition leaders and suppliers to understand more about some key topics like personal branding, the new world of talent attraction, candidate experience, the power of feedback, defining the perfect process, onboarding talent with impact and the art of retaining the best to attract the best. I hope you enjoy and let me know if you'd like to join me as a guest. Hello and welcome back to the Talent Acquisition Matters podcast with me, Thomas Dove, founder of Fraser Dove International, the life science talent consultancy. I'm so excited for today's bonus episode, which is focused on hiring talent within the life sciences space. I'm joined by Harry Simpson, who's a global headhunter within the CDMO industry in life sciences. Harry, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, very happy to be on this podcast as well. So thank you for inviting me. Perfect. Well, Harry and I have worked together um, for the last four years where he has been supporting the CDMO and CMO businesses in Europe, Asia and the US who've been scaling exponentially, especially over the last couple of years. And I wanted to bring Harry onto the podcast today to give our listeners some real-time information and a temperature, uh, sorry, temperature check on this red-hot recruiting market. So see who's recruiting well and how we can fix some of the talent problems the industry is facing. So Harry, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, hi there, everyone. Uh, my name is Harry. Um, I am 24 years old. Um, I've been working in the recruitment industry as a whole, so not just search, uh, for nearly six years now. Um, when I first started, uh, I was working within more of a graduate recruitment space, so um, sort of entry level. Um, it was a great sort of learning experience for me. Um, had the, the great opportunity to randomly meet Thomas one day at uh, a local, I think it was a pub garden or something like that. And um, yeah, we got talking, we exchanged some details. And a couple of months later, I was lucky enough to join Fraser Dove, which to be honest with you has been, you know, a huge catalyst for my career and, um, you know, have just gone through the ranks within that business from up, starting in the entry level roles, moving through consultants to now at this point where um, I currently lead our CDMO business practice, which I think, you know, we'll be talking about quite a lot today about that particular industry. Um, and also heading up our new London office location as well. So building out a, a small team at the moment, but that's going to be growing significantly over the next couple of months. Um, and that's me in a nutshell. Perfect. Thank you. And you said that you specialize in the CDMO space within life sciences. Um, can you explain a little bit more about this part of the industry for those that don't know? Sure. So I think when you think about some people will even question, you know, what is life sciences? So for us, life sciences covers, I would say, four main industries. It covers pharmaceutical, medical device, biologics and CDMO practice. There's probably a few others that you can bring into that as well. But for us as a business, those are the four main pillars. Um, and of course, you know, pharmaceuticals have been around for many, many centuries. It's been a pivotal part in the development of human health. Um, CDMOs, on the other hand, is almost like a, an extended arm or a, a development of that industry. Um, and CDMO stands for Contract Development Manufacturing Operations or Organizations. Um, and it's basically the outsourcing of development or manufacturing activities 
for certain, you know, pharmaceutical and of course now biologics businesses where they may not be necessarily um, technical experts or have the capacity to rapidly engage within, you know, working in a new technology or, you know, let's say at the moment, cell and gene therapy is a huge part of the market. You might have a leader in pharma that wants to break into this space. You know, it's going to take them two years to build a manufacturing site. It's going to cost them $400 million or they can go and utilize their partner just down the road that is an absolute expert within that particular product niche. And that's where CDMOs come in. So um, it's a really interesting part of the industry. Um, it's had, I guess, a bit of a, uh, a tainted view on it, probably for the previous uh, 10 years or so. I think within the last couple of years, it's really gained some traction, to be honest with you. Um, if you look at it today, it's about a $160 billion industry as of 2020. So obviously we're looking at renewed data year after year. I think the projections are by 2026, it's going to be about a $240 billion organization. And I think that's a pretty steady amount of growth. I mean, it's, it's significant. We're talking about billions. But, you know, I think if we're seeing the buy-in that we are right now from certain companies into this market, I don't see why it can't grow further. Um, so, yeah, that's the CDMO market. It's changed a lot. I think people's perceptions of it have really, really changed as well. Um, and, yeah, I think 30 years or so it's been around, but now it's really, I would say, in its prime and, and you know, really taking on a lot of growth and development within recent years. Yeah, and prime markets that are scaling like the CDMO space, you know, as lots of the pharma industry is reducing their manufacturing capacity, obviously the, uh, the CDMO space is really growing. So I'm mm. eager to discuss the complexities of hiring in this space. Like how challenging is the market for companies to recruit right now? So I think across life sciences broadly, it's extremely challenging to hire everywhere. I think that's something that is, is quite commonly found. I think within the CDMO market, there's a couple of factors that have always been there. And there's a couple of factors that have come into play within recent years. So um, first of all, you know, you look at how a CDMO operates. Uh, it has a cost center. You know, they provide a service that ultimately needs to be more cost effective than what their other, you know, customers or potential competitors um, are going to be able to uh, execute that manufacturing at from a price perspective. So, first of all, you're working with potentially candidates that are on more reduced salaries, um, or you're working with tighter budgets. And so when you have that sort of initial constraint, you know, if you're up against a top five, top three pharmaceutical business that, you know, has not unlimited, but nearly endless funds and resources to apply to any new project or, um, you know, technology development, that's the initial challenge. So, you know, initially, you're a little bit on the back foot. Now, whilst I've said that, I think it's fair to say that we've actually seen quite a significant change in CDMO's attitudes towards that piece over the last couple of years. So um, a lot of businesses have moved from, you know, being way off the mark to their large pharma or large biologics businesses. Um, and we're now in a position whereby 
uh, they're actually catching and in some cases you know offer equal and potentially more competitive packages compared to you know pharma and biologics businesses and i think that uh, that comes a lot also from companies that are specifically trying to hire that you know blue chip talent from large pharma who can bring in really solid processes and understanding of manufacturing process etc to come into their business and support them so I'd say that's one of the first challenges that has sort of always been there within the CDMO market and will probably continue to be there for some time. Um, COVID-19, I think, you know, that obviously had a huge impact on a lot of different factors. It affected the market in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, everyone initially froze at the start, concerned about hiring plans, about growth, but all of a sudden there was this, response that actually hang on a minute we can utilize you know the existing cdmos that we have within the us throughout europe to play a key part in the rapid response to developing manufacturing and distributing covid-19 vaccines and that's where we've really seen the most significant growth and of course when you have that sudden you know spark or chain reaction across a whole global market you know, that causes a really, really high spike in demand all of a sudden. So, you know, you're suddenly in a position where, um, you know, people are building new manufacturing sites because they might have their existing capacity to manufacture the products they were making, but they don't want to lose out on potential revenue. So they're forward planning and building new sites, reallocating their existing sites to then manufacture the COVID-19 products people that maybe less so in that sort of game, suddenly, um, you know, really trying to take a step into that market. Um, and yeah, you suddenly have this really, really competitive nature where everybody's looking for the same kind of talent. And if we look at, you know, what have been some of the most in-demand roles over the last year, two years, for me, I, I work specifically within the manufacturing sector, but, you know, work quite broadly in, you know, working and bringing in roles across the value chain but we've seen it in site heads of manufacturing for sterile full finish we've seen it in uh, senior directors in directors all the way down to associate director but generally within this sort of leadership function within this product technology and so when you've got that sort of demand all of a sudden the market becomes extremely competitive you've got a real shortage of supply of candidates everybody's got three to four offers on the table at once and then the big question comes, how do you then stand out, you know, from the crowd? So what makes you different to every other company that's investing $200 million into a new manufacturing facility to, in, you know, install two to three new fill finish lines? Um, so there, there's another piece to it. And, you know, I think more recently, you know, if we look at the US, we have also started to see a little bit of inflation. And that is also then having an impact on the market. So because of the inflation within the US, some companies are getting ahead of that curve um, and really being very proactive in understanding, you know, what do we need to be um, offering our employees, not only from a salary and a financial perspective, but from a, um, yeah, like uh, from a growth, from a personal career development perspective you know what what does their future look like within our business and i think the the organizations that understand that and have reacted in that way are able to retain talent and the ones that are sticking with the plan that they had a year two years ago 
are losing talent, struggling to close out the final stage of the process and ultimately, you know, having a bit of a tricky time. Um, and I think the one thing that I will say, it's very easy for me to say all of this, but when you're working with a huge multi-billion dollar organization, trying to make these changes at a click of a finger is very hard. But I think that's one of the reasons why it's more important than ever to really look at this piece and, and sort of take a change in strategy. Yeah, because it's an interesting dynamic. The pharmaceutical services industry has to please its customers that has to please its patients. But in order to please your customers, more often than not, you have to put your people first. Yeah. And it's quite an interesting dynamic because the CDMOs have been growing so rapidly, you know, especially with this kind of COVID-19 mobilization, all of a sudden there is huge demand, not only on the companies, but on the people working in those organizations. So you're absolutely spot on getting the employer value proposition right you know putting everything in place to retain the best talent will actually help you hire the best talent and in turn have happy customers yeah i think the i think the it's fair to say as well just kind of touching on the covid19 piece for me the cdmo industry has been probably the biggest catalyst in helping normalize some of the world over the past 12 months especially you know, it's amazing to have this great science, but you can't just have great science without literally billions of vaccines to put in the arm. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that that's just kind of a, a crazy concept when you think about it. Um, I, I think it has taken, uh, you know, a real collaboration from companies. You know, although I talk about this competitive nature around the hiring market, I think, you know, generally within the life sciences community, there's this common goal towards improving the world, getting people into a better place via these vaccines. Um, but, you know, when you think about the sheer scale of the amount of manufacturing that is going on across the whole of the world right now, just to produce the vaccines that, and initially we were thinking one vaccine needed per person with, of course, a, a follow-up in a couple of months' time. Now we've got our booster vaccines being introduced. You know, there's also no surprise why, you know, companies like Lonza have signed up a 10-year contract with Moderna for, for their vaccine here. This is something we'll continue to see being manufactured, I think, for many, many years ahead as it continues to potentially be an issue for humanity. And, um, yeah, I think when you just look at how we were able to suddenly switch and prepare within probably the space of 12 months to really get into a position where we can mass produce and commercially manufacture these vaccines after they've been developed is a huge achievement for not only the companies that were doing it, but more broadly for the industry. I think it's just, um, yeah, it's quite, quite unbelievable, to be honest. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, I think to be part of it, is very, you know, humbling. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, sometimes there is a bit of a, a bad rep that's happening with these vaccines right now. But I just think that we need to, you know, take our hats off to everybody in the industry that is doing some amazing things. Now, on the amazing things, you know, you've spoken about the complexities of this industry stream. Now, I'm, I'm eager to understand how companies are getting their hiring right at the moment. So what are they 
doing? What what are the the companies that are standing out right now? What are they doing differently to their competitors in the market? So I think this is quite an interesting one because when you look at the if you look at it from a global perspective and you look at the global landscape of hiring, if you go from somewhere like the US to Europe, there's very different attitudes in speed to hiring and process, et cetera. What I'll try and do is I'll, I'll, I'll limit it to the US in this particular answer because I think we've seen a lot of investment there and a lot of rapid growth. There's absolutely that growth going on in Europe. But I think, you know, you can see quite stark contrasted contrast, sorry, between companies in the US and how they manage that process. So one of the things that I think I've seen people doing right is uh, a change in attitude. You know, we talk about, you know, with uh, customers, with clients, you know, what is the what is the ideal candidate? What does the perfect candidate look like? And of course, we're always striving to try and find that. And in many cases, we do. In some cases where it's been challenging over the last 12 to 18 months, you know, you're not able to find that 100% candidate. They might be identified, but they're, you know, being heavily courted by other players in this space and have got other things on the table. Um, So I think one of the biggest adaptions that I've seen that can allow for success and for a, a business to actually take a step forward is you know, taking, taking an 80% candidate. And, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, going with someone that you're sort of half in, half out about. It, it means seeing that there's real strengths in a candidate and understanding there's an opportunity to develop them and train them in certain ways, making sure that's within the wheelhouse of the hiring manager, of the stakeholders that are going to be working around him or her. Of course, understanding the values that that individual can bring to the organization um and yeah i think that's probably one of the the first things they can do um you know having that setting the expectation knowing that the market is there um and that it is in a challenging state right now but adapting to it and re re-establishing and resetting your expectations um i think another one to look at is uh the fast but effective interview process. So having a really clear structure about, you know, we're going to be looking to hire this person by this date, but actually, you know, interview panel, this is the expectation that we're setting with this candidate. We'd like this to be completed within this particular timeframe. Now we work with a lot of different companies and some companies it will be quite fragmented the feedback is not so fast the um and because of that the next steps are not established there's multiple you know links in the chain in terms of the communication of you know who you know the feedback has to go to a certain person and that has to be fed back to us and then it's communicated to someone else the more links in the chain the slower the process is or just maybe the better the communication needs to be to manage that And if one of those two things are missing, that can really affect the process. If you then compare that to, you know, that could be, let's say, uh, a three, four, five week, potentially longer interview process. We know, and I know personally, there are CDMOs out there in the market that will interview someone on a Monday and they'll be having their final interview potentially the same week or the following Tuesday. And it doesn't mean that you're pushed through that process with no real value being added or 
you know, not getting the right engagement from the stakeholders. It's just about understanding that there's potentially good talent on the table and the market is competitive. And in order to secure them, if we can get a candidate to offer stage three to four weeks earlier than our competitors, is a candidate going to wait for the potential chance that something might come through in three to four weeks? Or are they going to take this now with a great business, with a great salary? And that can be a real game changer. Um, and where I've, uh, we've worked with people that used to work in that slightly slower way, and we've seen them adapt, and we've seen a lot more success from that, that sudden urgency that, okay, let's act, let's get this person in, and let's just go for it. Um, I think that's a, a really, really significant change that I've seen. It seems as though what you're saying is if you want the perfect candidate, you need the perfect process. Yep. And I think, that, I think that, you know, being able to talk quite openly to, to the audience today about speed, efficiency, you know, the perfect process, making you stand out, that whole candidate experience piece is the defining factor of whether a candidate will accept a job with your company or not. If they're going through a much better process with somebody else, the likelihood is that they would take that job. Unfortunately, that's what we're seeing at the moment. So yep. what about those companies that don't get their hiring right? Can you just talk about a couple of other areas, you know, what they're doing and perhaps how they can improve? Yeah, well, if I, if I think about you know, some of our standard processes and procedures, I think communication sits at the heart of everything that we do. Um, communicating and getting that right isn't about constantly being there. You've got to really make sure you're not over communicating. You've got to make sure that you're not under communicating the situation, finding Fine that balance. right balance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I definitely, you know, I've been through that journey for sure of, of trying to find the right balance with, working with partners and, and candidates, of course. But I do think that communication sits, you know, at the heart of it all. And it will start not only the communication between, you know, us and our partners, but the communication internally. You know, if you've got a hiring stakeholder that is not aligned with, you know, let's say site leadership team members on what the expectations are here from a candidate and, and what we're looking for, you can find yourself in a situation where a hiring manager is saying 100% yes, and the other team members are saying, well, he doesn't meet this criteria at all. And that can just be a very small change that's made. Um, one of the things we do, of course, is whenever we start a search, we, we sit down with the client, the, the organization, we talk with all key stakeholders through our process roadmap, understanding those technical aspects, cultural aspects, leadership qualities, um, the employer value proposition, which I think is so key in this market today, to really understand you know, what it is that you're looking for just beyond the technical aspects of the role. Um, and making sure that that is communicated, not only between the hiring manager and us as the search firm, but actually across the rest of the interview panel, I think is really, really key to say, this is the criteria that we're trying to find here. Are we all in agreement of this? Um, and I think sometimes companies don't get it right when they don't have that kind of transparency across all of the team. Um, it can create a lot of confusion. Um, and it's something that, you know, we don't just say, well, you're doing that wrong and we try and put the blame on people, but we're really always trying to coach and educate people to say, you know, this is how you should be handling this search or managing this with your colleagues from a more consultative point of view.
Yeah. If as a hiring, a senior hiring stakeholder, if you're only writing a job specification and then not taking enough time with your hiring suppliers, be that internal talent acquisition or an external supplier, if you're not taking the time to then really explain in depth all those elements that you were just talking about, mm. then you're only going to get the candidate that's on paper. You're not going to get the understanding of, as you said, their leadership style, whether their values are based for your team, for your mission, for your company. So you, you've really got to, as you said, put that time in, in that uh, kind of discovery phase of the search to really iron out exactly what you're looking for and then hold everybody accountable to those key requirements. Um, yep. So the CDMO space is obviously recruiting um, heavily. What trends are you seeing at the moment in that hiring space? <clears throat> so, and you, you do see this one quite a lot, I have to say. It's an interesting transition for a lot of people, but we talked about earlier how um, you know we're seeing biologics and pharmaceutical CDMOs going out after you know blue chip candidates from your top five, maybe even your top ten, you know pharma biologics businesses, and the candidates are brought over. It's a, sec a successful transition, you know, in the early phases. Um, but actually what you start to see is potentially a little bit of, I don't want to say a burnout, but, you know, it, it can be a bit of a change of environment. You know, what I'm not trying to say is that, you know, large pharma and biologics businesses are not working as hard as CDMOs. I don't think that's the case. What I would say is that you're suddenly um, given a new level of complexity, I believe, you know, within a, a business, you could be working with a handful of, you know, different molecules that are being developed over several years with, a lot of budget and a lot of time to suddenly you're in a manufacturing site with 40 different molecules and you know they all need to be delivered within the next 12 to 24 months simultaneously and to a high you know standard and order meanwhile whilst you know the partner is saying we need this by this date and you know a lot of communication coming in and i i think what you see is that it's not that people that were making that transition are not capable of doing that role. It's just a very significant difference to where they've been previously, especially if someone has spent, you know, a 20 year career only in large pharma and then move into, let's say like a small to mid-sized, you know, startup selling gene therapy company in the CDMO space. Suddenly there's going to be a, a bit of a moment where it's like, wow, okay, this is quite significantly different. Um, and it starts with things like talent, you know, being able to bring in the right talent to that group can be a challenge. You know, it can be quite difficult to actually, you know, you're not working for your, your Mercs or your Affies anymore. You're working for this new startup business that people don't know what the brand is about. They don't know what the mission is. It's a lot bigger task to get the candidates, therefore, engaged into that uh, organization and the opportunity. Um, and so, you know, it starts with talent. It also if you don't find the right talent, puts pressure on the demand that you're getting from your clients, and it can suddenly put you in quite a stressful situation. So I'd like to think that for, for most, it's a manageable transition, but I think definitely for some, it's just maybe not the right move for them. I, I would want to promote people moving into CDMO. I think it's a great place to be, but I think that's probably one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of uh, months slash years. Yeah, and I think in general, some of the feedback that, that 
we've been hearing has been, you know, those that are coming from a 20 year career in, you know, large pharma into the CDMO spaces. It is, you know, pound of flesh type industry. You know, there is potentially a lot more that you have to do above and beyond what is on the job specification. Also, you know, the, the customer satisfaction piece is extremely interesting. And as you said, there mm. is a lot of pressure that comes with that. Pressure is a privilege, you know, don't get me wrong. But for some, it is a little bit of a baptism of fire. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you for that. You, you recently wrote um, a really compelling article about the challenges of, of, of the pandemic and what that threw up in the supply chain in the pharma space. So what are your thoughts now on how local CDMOs could be the answer and could be the next kind of talent driver within this industry? Yeah, so interesting reflecting back on that article that I wrote at the time. Yeah, I think we a lot of what is said in that article actually has come true over the last, you know, 18, 24 months or so now. Um, and in some ways, it, there's some parts of it that have, and there's some parts that maybe not quite to the same level that we thought would change. Um, what I talked about in that was uh, the sort of sudden breakdown of supply chains within um, just the, the life sciences market. We had the pandemic hit us, everyone panicked, the, the sort of shipping costs and ability to move products all around the world suddenly became extremely expensive and supply chains were extremely broken down because we suddenly had things like transitioning to working from home and you know trying to find and adapt to new ways of working. So that was the initial sort of break in the chain that we saw. Um, you know, when we look to things like a lot of, you know, drug substance, pharmaceutical products, you know, there's quite a large percentage of that kind of uh, pharmaceutical product that's being manufactured over in uh, parts of Asia. And, you know, that obviously transported around the world, you know, a lot of that coming into the US uh, and to Europe, of course, to manufacture, you know, into different sites there. Of course, it's distributed throughout Asia as well. But there, if you suddenly have that break, that breakdown in the supply chain, it, it caused a big problem for a lot of companies. And there was shortages and it was very difficult to attain some of the raw materials that were required. And that put a lot of people in a difficult situation. And I think at that point, you know, I talked about it at the time, people then suddenly started to have a real question mark over, you know, how are we... Um, you know, how are we managing our supply here? How are we managing our supply and how can we future proof it? How can we make sure that this doesn't happen to us again and there's not this significant breakdown? I think the long-term solution for that is investment into localizing CDMOs. So really bringing that back into sort of a home country or a local territory, you know, whether that be the US or whether it be within your own country in Europe or neighboring, neighboring states type situation um, to make sure that there's that ease of access to these raw materials. Um, that's the first step. But of course, when you look at that, that means, you know, a lot of investment. It means new, building new manufacturing facilities, all of which we have seen. So I think if you looked at some of the news releases that have happened over the last, you know, two years or so within the CDMO market, we've seen such a significant amount of investment coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen 
hundreds of millions of dollars invested into just single sites alone, but this happening absolutely everywhere across the US, you know, a hundred, two hundred million dollar capex investment is really not big news anymore. To be fair, it's kind of what is happening at every site um, to respond to this growth and investment that's that's been coming in. Um, so I think that's been a um, a really interesting transition. And I think moving forward, what we will see is a more established and uh, consistent supply of these raw materials and the products that are needed from your local CDMOs and less of a reliance on maybe international partners that maybe before were more cost effective, but now could potentially throw up challenges if we were in, a, you know, suddenly get in a similar situation. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting that you said then about the about the capex investment in the US being almost you know laissez faire. It's kind of like it's just happening, happening everywhere. Yeah, a few hundred million dollars. You know, if you're not doing it, then you're 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 not you know at the races like your competitors. I wonder if those companies are investing as much in their people as they are in their sites. What do you think? That's a really interesting point because, you know, that number that we've thrown around there, hundred million dollars, you know, that that's such a significant amount of money and it, 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 it provides you with a new fill line or a couple of hundred provides you with a new site, et cetera. You know, I, I think it's a really good point. How much is actually being invested into the, the talent piece of the business, the bit that actually, you know, you've got your site, that's going to operate, but it's the people that make the difference, that make the continuous improvement, that improve your supply chains, how much is going into that. And I think that's what we're also trying to sort of communicate to our partners, that the impact that people can have on the business yeah. um, and that sort of re-evaluation of strategy, how you're going to go about attracting the best talent. You've got the best sites, you've got the best technology, but if you're not investing in the right people, you know, you're sort of expecting one outcome, but not willing to put any time or effort into the thing that could potentially be the, the key difference between success or failure. Yeah, sites are amazing, science are, is amazing, but talent helps everything move in the right direction. The talent will then communicate with the customers, the customers will then be happy. You know, I'm yep. also a big believer in, you know, if you want to hire the best, you have to retain the best. So you have to invest. Um, yep. I wonder how prominent that is right now in the CDMO market. I mean, what, aside from talent, what's the biggest challenge CDMOs are facing at the moment? Um, well, I think, yeah, what's the biggest challenge they're facing? I think some there can be a case of also, you know, whilst you're we talked about this sort of investment coming in, you've got to make sure that you're not sort of biting off more uh, than you can chew. You know, I think that's also something you've got to look at. There's this maybe a bit of overinvestment going on in the market. You've got to be really careful that, you know, Yes, we're in a growth phase right now. The life sciences is booming. There's a huge amount of investment coming in. I think there's got to be a realization that look, this is not going to work out for absolutely everybody. I don't think all of these companies are going to come out the other side. And we've all been super successful and everything's worked. And you know everybody can walk home happy at the end of the day. I think you've got to be really careful about how you strategize this whole situation moving forward. Um, you know, making sure that 
got a really clear plan about what growth looks like for the business, not growing for the sake of growing, but knowing there's a market need or demand actually on the flip side of what you're trying to contribute, which in most cases there is. But I think it, you know, there's there's going to be scenarios where actually, you know, there's not that much of a demand for this particular expansion, or you know, what, there's there's got to be that sort of, uh, yeah, need to actually go out and make those changes. Um, I think, you know, sort of repeating myself here a little bit, but you know, retaining talent, I think that really is some of the biggest challenges that CDMOs will be facing over the next twelve months. Um, you know, I think the the pandemic has put a lot of pressure on people that have been in these sites working doing you know huge hours and shifts you know all the way from you know shop floor level all the way up into senior level of management this will have been a huge couple of years and you know i know a lot of people now that are sort of you know taking a couple of weeks before christmas really getting some time in to relax take a bit of time reset before the new year because it's it's had a a heavy toll on people i think people are fighters and they get through it and they show great you know um determination and drive but at the same time there's a lot of pressure on these people so um i think rewarding in the right way uh, offering people development up through the business showing them why they should be working for their organization investing into talent within the business not just you know by offering salaries or necessarily a pay increase but trying to come up with slightly new and creative ways to retain the right talent is uh, is definitely going to be a key part and i think will be one of the key issues that cdmos will face over the next couple of months yeah okay interesting so i was going to ask actually what what you think the future holds for the cdmo talent market you know what do companies need to do in order to win the war for talent, you know, apart from the kind of salary and package piece? Yeah, um, I think, I think it's about, again, setting a very clear path of what the future looks like within that business. Um, getting very clear about what the future holds for that individual i think that's really just going to be the main part of it you know i think we've as you said we've talked about the salary piece we've talked about you know what they can do for those individuals um you know i think there's going to have to be some new form of creativity you know i think doing the same as everyone else in the market is not going to be enough anymore you know if you're just doing offering the same upgrades or increases in pay etc you know, there's always going to be another company out there that offers slightly more. I think really getting a clear message out to the market of, or sorry, to the, your internal employees of this is what our brand is all about. This is our future. This is our mission. This is the role that you will play in that. I think that's the only way you can get people bought into staying into a, a brand in, in a lot of ways. You need to know Sort of what's in it for them and why they should be a part of this group and organization moving forward um aside from that i think you know there might need to be a you know a few more creative people to come into this space to sort of come up with some new ideas but um yeah i think it's all about getting people bought into the mission bought into the mission understanding their contribution to the wider business and you know society in general i think one of the key things that you said there is development you know 
career development within this space, maybe it's time for a little bit of career diversity as well. It's being yeah. able to take somebody and start to move them around into different parts of the business. I remember speaking to a very senior person within the CDMO space that had been through development, that had been through site leadership, had been in the commercial space. Being able to move across these areas was actually giving this individual real career fulfillment. Yeah. You know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable in a new area, but it actually made the business so much stronger because you had these individuals that weren't just pigeonholed in one like site leadership role. They were able to express yeah. themselves in a different way and keep candidates or keep talent for longer. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we work, you know, sort of as you're talking through those points there, you know, we definitely work with partners that have that sort of approach to the way that they, you know, want to work and, you know, we see real benefit from that. It's not sort of what's the next step after this position, you know, how, how long till I get promoted into my boss's role, that cross-functional growth, the development of their own skill set, absolutely, I think is a, um, yeah, a really key part of retaining and engaging the talent that you already have. And talking about candidates, so, so what hiring tips can you give any potential candidates out there at the moment that are looking for their next challenge in the CDMO world? Get in touch with me. Uh, <laughs> no, so, no, but um, I think, you know, the, the, the market right now is in a really interesting space. There's, there's so much investment that is coming into the industry, um, you know, from organizations putting in their own money back into the market, also from, you know, private equity groups that are seeing the growth that's taking place within life sciences. Um, I would really start to engage with, people like myself and also your network, you know, get your message out there. We've personally, as a business, we've seen a lot of um, return on investment from having your own personal brand and your own personal presence within the market. I think it's great to have your own connections, but if you can actually put yourself out onto a social media platform, a LinkedIn platform, whatever it may be, and use the knowledge that you have as a key opinion leader within your space but then you know portray that out to the market and share it with people that's going to give you um buy-in that you're probably not aware of right now it's going to give you presence and and people will start to take notice of okay you know this person's talking about this that's quite interesting maybe i'll join the discussion around that topic um and through that, you might discover more about the CDMO world from your colleagues, from your you know, uh, people that you've worked with in the past that have moved into the industry, you know, will engage with you, talk to you about the market, that's gro the growth that's taking place. Um, and you know, a lot of the time, that's how you uncover potential opportunities that aren't out there, you know, on, on your job boards or whatever it may be. A lot of the time, these roles aren't there anyway. You really have to be proactive to, to find out what's available. Yeah. Use LinkedIn as a shop window. Yeah. And use your career as a, I don't know, it's a, you've got a career's worth of value that you're sitting mm. on. You know, I think the stats are only 1% of LinkedIn users actually comment or post or anything so it's quite yeah. easy to stand out in a market mm. that 99 of people aren't doing and i think you're absolutely right if you just share some tips some advice even from the other side of the table if you're in the pharma or bio world and you proactively want to get into the cdmo space 
share some of your experiences perhaps of mm. what good practice or poor practices look like from the supplier to customer side yeah absolutely um it's uh it's actually a lot of the time it's just about realizing the knowledge that you already have and just doing one thing a day just start by doing one thing a day um seeing you know don't worry about it being you know the the most amazing piece of information i think we talk about it a lot you know done is better than perfect you know just get the content out in the market and um you know you'll start to understand what works with people and what doesn't um and you know gradually over time i think you know, I, I know it's fair to say that, you know, a lot of these people working in this space will be, you know, absolutely chock-a-block all day with their calendars. But if you can set aside five minutes to just draw one thought, one thing that's impacted your day, your week, share that with the market, that then makes you a true key opinion leader within your space. And the opportunities that can come from to you from that, I personally think are endless. You know, I, I think it really just opens up a whole new world to you just by being more of a social presence also on the other side you know for hiring stakeholders if you want a funnel of the right talent to proactively come to you have a brand have a personal yeah. brand be somebody that people want to work for online you know make those videos make the the right posts write some interesting articles or blogs about what's going on in your world and you'll yeah. be surprised at how quick people then want to come and work for you. Kind of puts, you know, yeah, life sciences recruitment firms out of uh, out of the picture, which isn't a problem. <laughs> uh, but I do think that that is a very good way of creating a uh, super select funnel of talent that will come to you. I yeah, mean, on, absolutely. On, on that point, are there any other tips, you know, kind of last question here, any tips that you could share with any hiring stakeholders out there that are looking to improve their hiring process or candidate experience? Is there one tip you could share? Yeah, good question. One tip that I could share. Um, per perfecting and establishing communication. Yep. So I, I think that's I think that's it. I could probably go and dig deeper and search for something else or try and go around something that I've maybe said already. But, you know, I think that's that's where I've seen the biggest impact in my own personal development. You know, the one thing that I changed is the way that I started to communicate with people and how I was going to set out that communication. And I think if you can perfect that, it does take a lot of care. You've got to really have a rigid structure you don't just one day say well i know how to do this now and therefore i'll be fine forevermore you've got to really set some new disciplines with yourself and say you know i'm going to make sure that i set this expectation on a weekly or daily or whatever the basis may be to have that communication with this person and from that i think you will start to see the results i think this sort of older mentality of well you know a recruitment partner's got a job description and the talent acquisition representative has sent, you know, five lines of text about what we're looking for here. It just doesn't cut it anymore. It's just not going to work. Um, and, you know, for us, it gets to a point where we say that we, we actually just generally don't work in that way. You know, that's, that's not going to lead to a successful outcome. It's not going to give you the best interpretation of us as a supplier because we haven't got the information and the engagement that we need. I think, there's a lot more that you could probably add to make a perfect process, but I think it has to start with communication. 
Yeah. And we know from a candidate perspective how bad news travels so fast and a very good company with poor recruitment processes all stem from communication issues. Yeah. When there are those communication issues, it's very hard to turn around a candidate market because that bad news travels so fast. And before yeah, you know it, absolutely. it's like, you know, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to get in a process with that company because I've heard that it's not very good, um, which is very, very difficult to overcome. Exactly. But Harry, Harry, I'm really thankful for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic to, as I said, get a real time uh, temperature check of what's happening in this particular part of the industry. I think that some of the information that you've given has been invaluable. Um, look, for, for any of our listeners looking to get in touch with you and understand more about what you do or how you do it, how can they get in touch? Well, to be honest, I should probably expand my social platforms from like a professional perspective a little bit more. But the main one you can reach me through for now is LinkedIn, um, Harry Simpson at Fraser Dove International. Um, if you want to personally reach me, Think email address is hsimpson at fraserdove.com. Um, yeah, please feel free to reach out, drop me a message. Always great to connect. As you say, I think relationships that are developed are for the long term. They're not a one-time transactional thing. So even if it's a five-minute introductory call, you're on my radar, I'm on yours, and uh, there's a potential partnership established there for the future. Perfect. Fantastic. And again, Harry, thank you for spending the time with us today. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much, Tom. Loved it. Appreciate Cheers. it. And speak to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you.